1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
2: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
1: Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your official Australian Open Preview Tennis Podcast, kind of our second Australian Open Preview Tennis Podcast. They proliferate with every Grand Slam that we do because our pumpedness proliferates with every Grand Slam that we come to. You find us at Tennis Podcast Towers, Melbourne Take Two. We're out here for so long, we couldn't find accommodations that could accommodate us for the full three weeks. <laughs> uh, so we've had to split it into two stages. And this morning we performed the big move, as it shall evermore be known. And we're, we're here, yeah. is the most important thing. We've, we made it.
3: We made it. We needed two cars. We needed a, a sort of tag team effort. Um, and I think we, for, we remembered most things.
1: Yes. I actually left a bag of crisps. (laughs) (laughs) Two two bags of crisps in the cupboard. It's been annoying me all day. Yeah, Mm. anyway.
2: And uh, we're now in Richmond in in Melbourne, and it's become clear why why Richmond's a favourite of Catherine's, because the amount of dogs in Richmond is pretty extraordinary. David and
1: I went for brunch today, and... I basically took David to a sort of dog crash. Yeah, this is <laughs> genuinely st- by accident, but it was
3: so great. I'm not completely convinced by your <laughs> argument because I mean it it was it was it was absolutely lovely to be honest to be surrounded by so many dogs. So Richmond so far you have my thumbs up.
2: Was it the Daniel Collins recommended
3: it place was. that you went to? It oh, was great. I
1: actually knew about it just anyway. Yeah.
3: yeah.
0: yeah.
1: It was known about before Daniel Collins <laughs> got there. Um But, I mean, it was Dog Central, and there was a moment, which David captured on camera, head to our Instagram, if if you'd like to see it, folks, where two Bernese mountain dogs (laughs) paraded past me, and it was... Heaven. It was like Elton John had walked past. (laughs) It was was extraordinary. (laughs) Um, Now, before we get into previewing the Australian Open, which is what we'll be doing very shortly indeed because it was media day yesterday and the three of us uh, went to every single press conference going i think we missed tomorrow patch. Mm. there was a clash we couldn't get to tomorrow patch, <laughs> folks
3: f- feels in hindsight like a blow and a yeah. mistake really we've
1: we've come all this way <laughs> we've spent all this money and we failed to go to the big tomorrow patch press conference but anyway and
3: particularly given the joy she gave us at Wimbledon. And, mm. I mean, now I've got But this... our,
1: jo- our joy was her misery, though, so I'm not sure she did. Yeah. I mean, I did have a question
2: for her. How does she feel about being in the main draw of the Australian Open when Harmony Tan isn't?
3: <laughs> you just... probably would have got quite a good answer, Some actually. people might not remember the story. Just <laughs> a very brief recap of what happened between those They two. were
1: doubles partners. Um, they were playing together at Wimbledon, Harmony Tan... Unexpected to everybody, Harmony Tan included. Did very well in singles, of course, not Serena Williams. Uh, out of the singles and, and backed up that win, reached the fourth round, I mm. think, Harmony Tan. Uh, pulled out of the doubles. Uh, and Tamara Corpatch, understandably aggrieved about that, but didn't handle that with 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 grace and dignity. She
2: didn't
3: keep it to herself. She didn't no. keep it to herself. She did not keep it to herself
2: 2 separate Instagram posts about it. And the closing line of one of them was... Well, if you can't play the next day after a match that goes three hours, you can't play professional. You can't
1: <laughs> play professional. <laughs> Epic. Uh, um, but don't worry, folks, we did go to every other press conference yesterday and uh, there were some cracking lines from them. I feel like we, we really did learn a lot. So we'll get onto that in just a few minutes' time. But first, we have news. Yeah. Genuinely extremely exciting news. We've been wanting to announce this for a while, and we finally can. The Tennis Podcast has a sponsor for our Australian Open coverage, and that sponsor is On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. On Location owns Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours, which is a brand I'm sure that will be known to to a lot of uh, tennis fans, certainly tennis fans of a long time. Um, It's been developing world-class tennis holidays for nearly 50 years. It's the official tour operator of the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells, as well as providing incredible packages to the four Grand Slam tournaments and many other big tennis events during the year. A link to check out all of their travel packages is in our show notes. But what does this all mean for us? I hear you ask. Not to be too, you know self-centered about it but what does it mean for us well it means that for the first time the tennis podcast david matt and myself will be going to the bmp paribas open in indian wells in march to produce more tennis podcast content on the ground and to meet guests there that are on steve Fergal's international tennis tours so if you get one for indian wells you can meet us and it means that we'll be able to provide a five percent discount code to Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tour packages in 2023 for all friends of the Tennis Podcast. How cool is that?
3: That's cool. And actually, you know, you mentioned um, people may be familiar with the brand name, Steve Fergel's International Tennis Tours, and. I've been watching Indian Wells for a long long time and it's always on the tournament branding there and I've always sort of thought wonder what that wonder what that is and uh, and the idea that you could and this would have been probably pre-me working in tennis the thought that you could just go on these amazing luxury all inclusive type packages to go and watch the tennis and enjoy these wonderful locations and yeah, I mean the the thought of us actually being involved with that is great in itself. But us actually getting to go to Indian Wells, which is a, a beautiful place, we all know that. It's it's often regarded as the fifth Grand Slam. I mean, you know, you can have your view on whether it is that, but it is one spectacular tennis tournament. That much is clear. Everybody plays it, and it's also, I think, what's really attractive for us is that I think that it might be the sort of place that enables us to do more than we're able to do a lot of other places because it's just set up so well and we'll find out when we go but we're going to give it everything we've got to, to create as much brilliant content as we can for all of you to listen to.
1: It's set up so well and everyone's just in a good mood. People
3: yeah, because you've are, pe- been going, People you?
1: are very amenable. They just, you know, they want to help you out. They want to do interviews. People just say yes to mm. stuff because... It's a it's a very happy place.
2: Can't wait! In <laughs> you, fact, it'll it will be your first time. It will uh... be my first time in Indian Wells. It will be my first time at a Masters One Thousand event. Even I've never been on site at one of those. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's and, really interesting. And um, yeah, just generally, I mean, as you as you hinted at, this has been in the works for a while, and um, it sort of hasn't quite felt real going to Indian Wells. But this feels like a sort of seal on it we're going and saying uh, it publicly Exactly. can't wait
0: exactly (laughs) (laughs) we've
1: got to go now yeah we're going and um, it'll help with the the, this Australia trip has been so good so far and the the tennis hasn't even started yet I already started worrying today about the post-Australian open come down um, which probably is a bit of an insight into how my brain works Um, but knowing that India Miles is on the horizon will be a tonic for that for sure. So it's brilliant news. We're delighted to have On Location and Steve Fogel's Tennis Tools on board with the Tennis Podcast. And it's really exciting.
3: Yeah, yeah, it really
1: is. And with that, on with the show. Now, where to begin, I was thinking about this podcast because we went to so many press conferences yesterday and some of the great lines weren't necessarily from the, you know, the top picks, the top contenders for the title. But I think we should start... With the two top seeds, who aren't the two world number ones, of course. Carlos Alcaraz is the world number one in the men's. He's not here. David, I know you think the rankings are pretty much irrelevant. Yeah, I have a real
3: problem with the (laughs) rankings at the moment. Um, I just, as soon as somebody starts to go into a a permutations conversation about what this might mean in the rankings and who might end up as world number one, I glaze over. And And in the past, that would not have been the case obviously we know they've been they have been devalued by the fact that they didn't include wimbledon last year and obviously there's the pandemic knock-ons and all the rest of it they just don't feel that relevant to me
2: is that the same for the men's and the women's in your opinion i know that the same sort of effect on the rankings has taken place for both to me it feels like the men's rankings are more affected by that. Yeah, because, definitely.
3: Because of Djokovic as well. Djokovic has missed two Grand right. Slam tournaments. And he would probably be number one, wouldn't he, with all, without all of that? And he won one, and that didn't even count.
2: Yeah, whereas Iga Swiatek very much feels like the world number yeah. one. She is the world number one. And yeah. I, I just think for so long we were waiting for a new number one in, in men's tennis mm. outside of the big three, the big four. And it finally has come. We've had Medvedev and we've had Alcaraz. And yet it doesn't really feel like they're mm. the best player in the world because of what's gone on with the rankings Which and Novak it Djokovic not playing. Which makes it a little bit awkward, doesn't I it? I suppose so. Because
1: it should be super cool that there's the possibility for four different men
2: I think that's right. I think to be
1: Al- world number one at the end of this fortnight.
2: Yeah, I think Alcaraz can stay there and then Djokovic, sits a Pass and Rude can all yeah. get
1: there. but I... I don't think that's going to be much of a talking point over the course of this fortnight. Maybe if we end up with a US Open-type situation where two players are playing for the number one in the final, I can't off the top of my head think whether and Sitsabas could play in the final or if that would even be where world number one is decided. Maybe in that scenario, but... It's, it's not really top of mind, despite the fact that we've ended up sort of leading <laughs> leading the podcast with it. So, without further ado, I propose that we lead with Rafael Nadal, who's the top seed and defending champion at this tournament and was in brilliant form.
3: Yeah. Uh, in, is, it,
1: it, it's, it's unmissable, a pre-tournament Rafael Nadal press conference and now.
3: Am I right in saying that you arrived, both of you, into the press conference room and he, he was already there? Yes. yes. We arrived, and he made a joke about that. Yeah.
1: We arrived 2 minutes before his allotted start time because we'd been in I think we'd been in a, with Emma Adikanu in the room right. too.
3: Yeah. And I'd gone to see It did not
1: even occur to me that Nadal would be in the room <laughs> no, already. Nor we him. Ambled in. <laughs> And Rafael Nadal is already sat there, and he makes a joke.
3: Yeah. He, he... he
1: says, they weren't expecting me to be on time. No,
3: and, and the thing is, I was in there already because I we'd decided to kind of divide and conquer. I'd been to the Alex de Menor press conference, which was the first one of the day, at the same time as you went to Amaretto Cano in another room. And when he walked in, Nadal, there were about four of us in the room, plus the transcription people. He comes in, he says, hello, and he walks <laughs> straight across to the three people who provide the transcripts. We've talked about this before, but this is the first time of the year he comes straight over to them, shakes all the hands, happy new year, it's great to see you all again. And Aww. you could mm. see in their faces what that meant to them. That, that made them feel fantastic. Because and they
1: do a tough job. They sit, I, I know they get to listen, you know, there's, there's perks, but they sit in a windowless room all day long. Mm. Um, you know, at the mercy of tennis players, being on time which mm. is not something you ever want to be at the mercy of and, and then, it means then, a lot to the them. next
3: thing that happened was that in these press conferences the, there's a moderator who starts them off and actually asks the first question and and in this case i think it was nicola Razzani asked rafa the first question and people were shuffling in and rafa said maybe we'll just wait for them all to come in though no? and uh, so that so that's <laughs> and he just waited with his answer until all of you had come in and I thought what a, well what a pro class act and class act yeah. yeah
1: it was the greatest hits of Rafael Nadal wasn't it we got we got all of the highlights we he hit all the top notes we got that's the true in his <laughs> in his second answer i think he was being asked he was asked about whether whether he feels vulnerable mm. in early rounds of this tournament and obviously in particular in the very first round of this tournament he said yeah of course I've been losing more than usual. That's the truth. And I thought, that is what we came for, Rafa. Thank you very much. And yet, I felt
2: like he gave me a slightly different feeling to what he normally does at the start of a Grand Slam, where, as we know, he he can really talk down his chances, can't he, Rafa Nadal? You know, he can be... Going into Roland Garros unbeaten on clay in about three years, and sort of make (laughs) out that he's He's (laughs) that he's yeah yeah, that he's vulnerable, (laughs) Um, (laughs) and you know so I'm always prepared for that. And and you're right, he did use the word vulnerable. He clearly uh, respects Jack Draper's game a lot, but you know we did our pre-tournament predictions before media day and. We always sort of joke about media day it can sometimes make you change your mind a little bit, and Nadal gave me quite a good feeling, to mm. be honest, about where he is compared to where he was at United Cup, and even just weeks before that, uh, he mentioned in the Spanish portion of the press conference how just being back on tour again regularly is is important for him. He spent three or four weeks you know, part of the tour now, hitting with better players, mentally being engaged in it. And he's not really done that since Wimbledon, I suppose, because of all his injuries. So I think he feels sort of mentally stronger, physically stronger. He mentioned that his movement feels better. So really tough first round, of course, but if he can get through that, I feel like we're going to see a better version of Nadal than we have done, you know, kind of in the last few months, really.
1: Yeah, I felt the same. There, there were a, a few things that made me feel that way. He talked about how much he's been practising. He says he's been practising more. Well, first he said more than ever, and then he kind of sort of had a moment where he internally corrected himself and thought, well, ever is a blooming long time in my <laughs> career. And he said certainly the last 10 years. You know, he said he'd been practising longer, harder, was really pleased with how things were going in practice. And I know we're the first to say what does practice really mean all these blokes can hit a tennis ball really well but you know Rafael Nadal does know mm. you know the difference between practicing well and not not practicing well and he also talked about how we should not be drawing conclusions about where Rafael Nadal is at and projecting forward to his when his retirement's going to come on the on the basis of whether he wins or loses on Monday or yeah. on Wednesday or, or on Friday, he said, he said, pretty much said, I've got a really tough draw here. I know I need time to play my play myself into form, but even if it doesn't come at this tournament, I think I'm in the shape still to, to get there. You know, this isn't just about this tournament. Don't jump to rash conclusions about mm. me if I lose to Jack Draper
3: on Monday. Yeah, and he... There was a moment where Matt Futterman of the New York Times s- said to him, you know, you, you're on this this losing streak of <laughs> one and six. And, and he says, you know, you've had losing streaks before. And Rafa sort of went, well.
1: <laughs> he did, re- he d- this was really. another of the greatest hits. He did eyebrow raise eyebrow and raise. went, have I? <laughs> 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 uh,
3: no, I, 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 I think there was a, there was an attempt and I, f- I felt we got the same from Andy Murray later. There was an attempt to, to, Big himself up, and to yeah. to come out fighting.
2: And there was the line that he was using a lot at last year's Australian Open. Things change quickly in sport, and this time he said the sport moves fast, and clicked his fingers like that.
1: <laughs> I thought he was going to start doing flamenco. It was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's so good. And he another of the greatest hits. Doesn't like the balls. Very much. Oh
3: god! Yeah, he went to the balls, didn't he? Oh,
1: they're not no, there. No. After, they, he they... always goes on to win the tournament when he <laughs> talks about hating. They, the balls. After a few
3: minutes, they lose pressure. <laughs> uh, they don't spin, jump up as much. He's,
1: he he yeah. said they suit a flatter hit. Yeah, which to be fair doesn't. I mean, Jack Drape is a not a flat hitter, is he? Particularly on no. the forehand side.
3: There's going to be some spectacular cross court rallies, mm. forehand to forehand. There isn't there? His press conference was interesting
1: Mm. I thought wasn't
3: it yeah well I mean he he wasn't bashful about his chances I mean he wasn't he was totally he manages to be totally respectful but also a, a serious player already I mean he's only been on the tour Oh, a year if that um, or I don't know I mean how long do you call him a real pro well he
1: said six months Yeah, he, um, sa- he said there was a moment where he said I've got to keep reminding myself I've only really been on this tour six months
3: but he's just reached another semi-final and he gives you the feeling that he can hurt people now whether he can hurt Rafael Nadal over the best of five cents is another matter but I think he can hurt him short term in the match
1: I think he's the perfect balance of swagger and humbleness, humility. I I really think that's a very fine line for, for young players to walk and... Every, everyone listening probably knows how harsh I am on players that say, oh, I've, I'm going I'm to play the bloke that I had posters of on my wall. Shut up. Don't say that out loud. <laughs>
3: and yet he did say he, he, he had did, the sleeveless he, shirt. He
1: said, it was a really nice answer to that, wasn't it? To a question yeah. from El- Eleanor Crooks. You know, can you give us some examples of, of, have you got any particular memories of Nadal? And he said, it was a very thoughtful answer. He said, Of course. I, you know, I, I would not be the player I am without the big four. But then he paused and said, but they're my competitors now. Mm. And and all that hero worship is, is irrelevant. He said, when I was younger, I had the sleeveless tops, the bandanas, all of that. But then he said, this isn't a free hit, though. That doesn't make this a free hit. I don't believe in this being a, a nothing to lose match. He, no, he thinks, wants to
3: grind, doesn't he? He wants yeah. to get into the match and grind with him.
1: Mm. He feels like his tennis is good enough, in principle, to beat Nadal. He knows it's an outside shot, but Mm. I think he's going in with the right attitude. And my last question to him was about the match that he played against Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon in 2021. You know, this prior experience of having faced one of the the big three a tournament favorite in the opening round as is a youngster an underdog and he was sort of he was saying I can draw on that experience but on the other hand it all feels really different to me now you know he said he was ranked outside the world's top 200 at the time and he feels like a completely different guy now but I asked him how he felt after losing that match to Djokovic when he'd won the opening set I wanted to know whether he felt Delighted just to win a set, or whether he felt disappointed that having won a set, it it all fell away from there. And he said, he said, now I take positives from it, but at the time I was really disappointed, and that was the answer I wanted to hear.
2: Mm. Yeah, not. Um... Yeah, well, it's, uh, that, it's that, just that's, another that's example not, of not hero that's worship, not isn't it? Isn't it's not it name any names. But no, no, people not... can fill in the blanks, mm. <laughs> and I'm sure they will be
3: casparud casparud <laughs> <laughs> may now go on and and show that that was just being polite the,
1: the the other interesting thing that he said we'd been debating when when jack draper was still in the adelaide tournament we'd been debating you know whether it was a good distraction for him to to still be in that tournament to not be not necessarily have his whole mind occupied with the countdown to playing Rafael Nadal and obviously the possibility of taking off that milestone of winning his first ever title. And he said last year in Winston-Salem, uh, when he had a good run, I think, to a similar stage, maybe the semifinals as well, um, the, the draw came out that he would be facing Felix auger aliassime in the first round at the US Open. And he said he got completely distracted by it and he, okay, he did end up losing to Sun Rukwon in in Adelaide, but he said it was very different for him. He was not at all thinking about the Nadal match. He just lost to a better player on the day. He feels like a
3: professional already, and he's only going to get more professional. Mm. Uh, There are potential downsides of getting more experience, but generally I think he handles it very well. I think Mm. that the omens are good regardless of what happens in this match, but I think he will... Give a good account of himself as long as he's physically okay.
1: There's a broad prediction, if
3: ever. There I think was he'll one. lose in four sets.
1: Yeah, I I tend to think the same. I do. He has a chance. Nadal's such an unknown at the moment. I do. Th- I think less of. Uh, I give him less of a chance now than I did before Nadal's press conference. <laughs> he's really. <laughs> That's he's what really I mean. Me yeah. He might end up
2: being the guy who plays Nadal into four. Mm. Like. If Nadal can find the good level and win, I think that's just going to be so helpful for Nadal. But I agree. I, th- I, think, I think Draper will bring it and get a set, at
3: least.
1: What did we think of Novak Djokovic in press yesterday?
3: I wasn't in it. <laughs> oh. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Matt. I wasn't in it. Where were you? Where were you? I was in a- another conversation at the time. Not oh, a yes. press conference. That's cryptic. Okay. <laughs> so you tell me, what was it like?
1: You've made it sound like you were sort of spying for the British government or something, kind, David. kind of was. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Matt, what was Novak Djokovic's press conference like? I felt he was a little subdued.
2: I don't know. I mean, um, I don't know what to read into that. They just—he just wasn't. He wasn't very chatty, I suppose, in, and he isn't always chatty, but he's normally sort of quite open. And I, I sort of felt like he was, he looked locked in and focused. He looked like I would expect him kind of at the end of the tournament rather than the start. And I'm not saying that that, that he wasn't relaxed, but I do think that maybe this injury is slightly on his mind. Um, I think it's slightly disrupted his Preparation you know he, he says he says he really likes his chances at the australian open it 's the tournament which he loves the most that 's why he was you know so good, well for many reasons he was gutted about what happened last year, but that one being a big one you know he 's always the favorite here he hasn 't lost here since two thousand and eighteen he 's going for his tenth title um, but I feel like as good as he is at Sort of navigating little injuries and little niggles in tournaments, it does affect him sort of mentally. He gets a bit annoyed by it that he's got a little something. And, um, you know, he knows that if he doesn't win this tournament, that's another year in Australia that he's missed out on. And he was asked by Chris Clary about the Grand Slam race and how much of a motivating factor that is. And I just found it really interesting because if you'd asked Rafa Nadal that question, I think maybe he did even get asked that question. He doesn't really engage with it at all, but Djokovic is. Yeah, that's kind of the reason why I'm still playing. Is He's, basically what he said.
1: He said, "I want to be the best. It's why I play the sport."
2: Right. And so it's fair play, could, you know? could
1: not be clearer. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So I think every time Djokovic goes into these slams now, there is there is a pressure on him mm. to win it. You know, he is behind in that race. You know, he needs to win at least one more, two more, really, to um, to have the outright lead. So. A tournament like this presents such a big chance for him, and I think I think he'll be fine with this injury. I'm certainly predicting him to win the title, but anything that just slightly gets in the way of that absolutely precise mm. focus and preparation that he likes, I think can just slightly play on his mind a bit
1: the um the Serbian journalist Sasha Osmo reported today that he had cancelled his planned practice i, I I'm quite often guilty of reading too much into things like that. It, it might not mean much, mm. but it's definitely it's exactly as you say, I think, Matt, for, for a, such a finely tuned athlete and capacitor as Djokovic is, it's definitely not nothing.
3: Yeah, no, I don't think it's nothing. Um, and I don't think things that, are, that he's complained about feeling in the past have been nothing, when sometimes people do think that. I just think he is hypersensitive to anything that's not perfection in how he feels and so i i'm really not concerned for him overall because i i'm i think that if he has the slightest twinge he will cancel his practice and Mm. he will reduce his workload so that when he can play the matches he will manage his way to the title if he needs to Mm. um and i think he's quite capable of doing it
1: he said, um, "He said it's hopefully not a major concern." That was his wording, but he did say, "I've been a bit more cautious in training sessions." He said he hadn't been going full out, so it's not nothing. He's mm. still hands down the favorite for this title, but who's he got in the first round? It's a, it's a fairly kind opening round. I mean, isn't his it? draw is good. Yeah, it's a good draw, Generally, but three, we'll, three rounds of which it are, still will be interesting to, to see. Mm. and he'll play Tuesday won't he which is expected to be 37 degrees yeah
2: I I think he'll be night session
1: (laughs) yeah although we were night session yesterday for an Elton John concert Matt and it was hotter than the sun at about 9pm I I thought there was a a point during I'm still standing where I thought I might actually not still be standing (laughs) Um, it was yeah I mean it it doesn't Get much cooler on those days when the sun goes down. Um, seeing as you mentioned Andy Murray in and the comparisons, there should we go to him because he was very game face on, hmm. wasn't he? Not not rude or brusque,
3: but certainly not chatty at all. I think he is excited. Ooh! By his chances, by his chances, he really came across to me the way he was. He was bullish. About Berrettini, for instance, he played Berrettini at the U.S. Open, and he said, uh, "Because you asked him the question about having another big name player, top one of the top seeds in the first round, when you know you must. What, what was your reaction to getting that draw again? Effectively, is what you asked, and he he didn't shy away from that question at all. He he didn't complain. He didn't." Now, you might say, well, he wouldn't because he's, he'd be giving something away. But I just got the sense the way he looked you in the eye and spoke confidently. It was as if he was saying, if in the past that might have bothered me, it doesn't now because I'm ready now. Yeah. I'm more ready now than I've been at any stage of these I things. I
1: think I was expecting a bit of a, a sort of, la- you know, something a bit lighter. Something, yeah, a, <laughs> mm. yeah you know, not, I don't know, yeah. sort of an Andy Murray line. Yeah, you know, bit,
3: he thinks bit, he's going to win.
1: A bit of a deadpan funny, you mm. know. He thinks he's going to yeah. I yeah, maybe
2: ended does. up like checking Andy Murray's recent form during this press conference. I was thinking, <laughs> have I missed something? Like in my in my mind, Murray's not in particularly good form. hasn't yeah. won that many matches, and that is true. I mean, he's only played one match at the start of this year. He lost to Sebastian Corda, obviously. That, that's a result that maybe aged a bit better because Cordo ended up being in brilliant form that week and, you know, having a championship point. And Mario certainly ran him close in that first set, didn't he? Um, but he was really talking up the way he's playing and he cited his movement as being a lot better than, not only this time 12 months ago, but also prior to the US Open. And... I just found it interesting that he that he thinks that like there's so little evidence of matches to go on. Um, I do feel like I've heard Murray talk up his form before and it not work out and him come up short in these big matches recently. So I don't think it changed my mind. Like I still think Berrettini will win that match, but I'm excited to see it because the thought of Murray sort of. You know, feeling himself, feeling confident is is an exciting one if he can get the results to back that feeling up.
1: I did the same. I, I went. I mentally rechecked Andy Murray's recent results, thinking maybe I've maybe I've missed something here. But then I then I sort of widened out the camera. to to take a look at it, and this is quite a wide camera lens, I I accept this, but the last Grand Slam he played was the US Open, and that really was progress. That was the first time he'd reached the third round of a slam since since he was world number one, wasn't it? There was Mm. that extraordinary stat that it had been five, six six years, hadn't it? 2016, I think, that maths is right, Um, since he had reached... Twenty seventeen,
2: 2017, he got years. to the uh, semis at Roland Garros. Yeah, heard his well, heard his hip.
1: The, yeah, we we know what we don't <laughs> talk about that much. <laughs> yeah, um, so sort of looking at it from that, maybe that that was an improvement, and the you know, and and he he did in the end get close to Berrettini. The problem was he didn't come out of the blocks quickly enough, and that's something when we've over the past few days off air been talking about this matchup. that's a point that you've persistently made David he hasn't been doing that in this phase of his career he doesn't come out of the blocks quickly enough and he needs to in these big matches and to be fair I'm not sure that's something he ever did brilliantly be a quick starter in matches no but matches, I think
3: but he was able to stay with somebody or he was look he didn't have a metal hip so he was able to physically outmatch them or bring his variety to to bear and look Berrettini's very good I mean he he's a he's got this thumping game and and trying to find a way to make that malfunction is his task
2: and I feel like peak Andy Murray would have made Matteo Berrettini Mm, malfunction in the way that Djokovic does and Nadal does, because Bertini has a weakness yeah. and those big top players can pick on it and it must be frustrating for Murray if he can't quite do that anymore. Certainly I would be thinking if I were Andy Murray, God, I would have
1: because I would I th- have I taken think this guy. Peak in my Murray that's exactly the sort of guy that he would love to. Play. He loved picking on a weakness. Mm. He would have pulled his pants down. I think Matteo Berrettini and and pulled made...
2: him in, used yeah. him as a target.
1: Yeah, the, exactly as you say, the way that Nadal and Djokovic sometimes have.
2: But but sort of as things stand at the moment, Berrettini, as you said, does have such a big game. Mm. If Murray's not able to find the weakness,
1: he is cursed though.
2: He is, maybe Mary's cursed, though, as oh. well.
1: Can a three-time Grand Slam champion and world number one be cursed? Yeah, maybe. It's
2: become cursed. I don't know. These draws, injuries. We need to fine-tune in that. In what way
3: Berrettini <laughs> been cursed?
2: Well, oh, just so many injuries. Co-
1: COVID after winning Queen's. Yeah, true. So he, he's fought, he misses his, the whole clay court season. So, first of all, Turin happens 20... 21 hmm. has to pull out of that his home tournament and he's devastated and even
2: in that year he had to pull out of the australian open didn't he with, yeah um...
1: with the abdominal injury and then he has to miss the whole of the clay court season with a hand injury gets himself fit, comes back rowing to go on the grass wins queens genuine contender at wimbledon i think gets covered
3: okay you've convinced me <laughs>
1: Um, That's pretty rubbish Isn't
3: it I can't remember When we did the We did the prediction Our predictions for the quarters The day before Didn't we Mm. Mm. Yesterday And I hovered over Murray in the quarterfinals, Almost As a joke (laughs) Um, And then When I went And then in the end I've I think I've put Berrettini Through to that point But I Do feel differently I feel more strongly About Murray now Having spoken to him And heard from him
1: Do you think he's going to win that match?
3: I really I really do feel like that he will, yeah. Wow. And I've already put the predictions in now, so that's the end of it. But
2: I've asked for Rude in that quarter, so Okay. Don't need to worry about that match. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> if you got Rude beating Berrettini like he did Probably in, in my mind, like I did like he did yeah. in New York. That was a weird match, wasn't mm. it? Um, a couple of other men to touch upon before we move on to to the women. We should probably do Nick Kyrgios Mm -hmm. Um, What would we like to say About Nick Kyrgios' press conference He's very He's he's pleased He was asked first up uh, About his portrayal in the Netflix show And he said he was very pleased with the portrayal Of his brand
3: Right (laughs) Mm.
2: I actually wasn't in this Press conference to quote David I was uh, talking to someone else
3: I mean, look. The I
1: was, no, I think how he put it was, I was in another conversation.
3: <laughs> I was. You made it unnecessarily weird. To be weird. honest, I couldn't actually remember what I was doing, <laughs> and then eventually I realised what I was doing. I was in another conversation. <laughs> um, but the, actually, the, the thing I found most interesting about the curious press conference is what he said about Holger Rune. Yeah. Um, which is, you know he tried to big him up because they might play each other in the third round and actually the same the same was true of Sidserpas he talked about Runa, and because there was a danish journalist in the in the press conference asking as they do you know and and Sitsipas is worried about Runa and thinks he's um, he's working too hard um,
1: that would deviate to Sidserpas for a moment what did you think of that because it was almost as if Sitsapas was desperate to be asked that question. He mm. really sort of offloaded yeah. and got something off his chest, didn't he? And he said, he said, you know, talked up his potential, said, you know, great game. But he said he's obsessed with tennis, says he sees him at the academy that he trains at, said he worries about him burning out, says yeah. it's a lot of tennis. He lives, eats, and breathes tennis. It reminds me a little of myself at that age. And I thought, doesn't it remind you a little bit of yourself at at this age now? The the
3: amount he plays and all that. Yeah, because Sitsipas
1: Mm. still plays so much tennis.
2: Yeah, and maybe Sitsipas feels that where he is now, which you know is obviously great, He's, he's a top player, he's been to a grandstand final, but maybe he feels like he should be doing even better and he's not because of a consequence of how he was sort of... In the past, perhaps.
1: But then he ha- has he really changed he's, those no. ways?
2: But I think sometimes you can... Yeah. You can know something and still not mm. do anything about it, perhaps. But, yeah, he, he hasn't, really.
3: I, and I, I think um, Kyrgios was saying, to Denmark, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> look after him, kind of feel. And, and, and he was talking through his own lens of feeling as though he's been hard done to.
1: Yeah, but... It, <sighs> I don't want to just constantly bang the bing down on Kirill's drum because, you know, he did talk about how, you know, the media's portrayed him badly. You know, he had to go pop at the media, didn't he, about them being the ones that have portrayed him badly. But I felt like what he was saying was, don't ever criticise him. You know, I, I felt like saying back, okay, but he was fined by the ATP just over a year ago for a homophobic slur And absolutely deserve criticism for that. And that criticism and punishment, hopefully, will end up doing him and the world of tennis good.
3: Yeah. You know... Mm. (laughs) You you can't just have these blanket rules. I think we know what he was getting at. I also found it quite interesting uh, answering a question. I asked him about how he and Novak Djokovic have gone from where they were... Which was really quite an uncomfortable place two years ago to where they are now, and, and we, I still which don't is
1: which is do you want to des- describe what we
3: well, saw on Friday? I mean, they 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 can do no wrong in each other's eyes. Suddenly, now they're, they
1: played this what was billed as a practice match.
3: Mm. It was um, an exhibition. It, it was an exhibition, and it was for charity. It, it raised lots of money. Great, absolutely full house. Um, so lots and lots of good things from it i i was disappointed that it wasn't a match uh, mm. at all it was just just a, a, an exhibition that's fine but um i still don't quite i and i said to him do you regret what you said about him to ben rothenberg and uh, and he and i got the sense that he I mean, he was a bit sheepish really and he, he said i, I don't, I don't have, have, regrets. have regrets but i mean you know how can you be that scathing about somebody and now and now, this evangelical about them. I don't quite understand that. I don't understand not having regrets.
2: No.
1: I mean, I've not.
3: got regrets from within
1: the last hour. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Probably regret something I've said on this podcast. Yeah. Mm.
1: It's unfathomable to me.
3: But, you know. I mean, look, what, the, the thing that strikes you most is that Kyrgios is actually coming into this tournament thinking he has a chance. That's how he's talking anyway. Mm.
2: Yeah. I mean I I still think it's in Djokovic's best interest that the relationship has gone this way. Like mm, absolutely. That's interesting. Like I don't think you know we've seen Kyrgios play Murray, haven't we, and have a real problem, uh, and I just think because he likes him because he, he likes him. him and I just think some some hostility between them would probably favor Kyrgios in that matchup. Look, I mean he beat he beat Djokovic twice, didn't he, when when he didn't like him. Um, I know that wasn't the Novak Djokovic that we have now. That was a sort of slightly injured Novak Djokovic in a 2017. But still, I don't know. I I'm not suggesting that Djokovic is sort of playing a game with Kyrgios, but I think he knows that it's not the worst th- thing in the world to you know kind of keep your enemies close a little and bit. I, and perhaps. I think he
1: knows there's a difference between an Instagram friendship and a real friendship. You right. know, it it. They're not going out for dinner together.
2: No, I mean, they, they, there was that whole thing, wasn't there? That yeah. they would go out for dinner together. I, if they had been Wimbledon out for and, that and dinner,
1: didn't. we would have been bombarded with material yeah, and also, from it.
2: And also, I think Kirios said they were going to play doubles together in uh, Indian Wells, and conveniently for Djokovic, maybe he's not allowed to go to Indian Wells. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. I mean, I, th- I think that they actually now publicly do appreciate one another mm. and it's they've probably realized it's it's easier life's a bit easier like this um I mean Kyrgios said it's all because he he said it's because I stood up for him last uh, last year uh, when he was being deported okay maybe that's why it is then um but uh I still <laughs> I still I still don't believe you are you you think he's great and he thinks you're great I don't really um
1: can he win this tournament and ps if he does he's told australian media that he will retire yeah. so he can eat and drink what he likes
3: he was he was laughing as he said i don't believe well, that what was he yeah. yeah i don't believe i don't believe that at all um, but uh, will he I, does he have a chance of winning it i suppose but i don't i don't think he's going to win it i don't no. think, I, he's not he, in the mix did, for me he no i no, don't think I he's in the, mix.
1: Not in the mix yeah i'd, I'd be surprised I'd be, yeah yeah Um, Just very quickly back to Sitzapass before we move on to the women's because I I think it would be remiss of us not to mention that uh, he was asked about the United Cup and he said he didn't know the City Finals existed until he was playing in them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And he was asked about his first round opponent and he literally didn't know who Quanta Alice is. No. Nothing.
3: He does love the United Cup generally. He does but, uh, but he, I, yeah <laughs> and I think he, he seemed actually a bit, a bit vague on some of the <laughs> details, but he did love it, and I clearly. think he actually
2: spoke about a lot of the format issues with the United Cup that we 've talked about. you know It was weird having a losing team go through to the final four in Sydney, and in an ideal world, that wouldn 't happen and his idea is to sort of streamline it and have 16 teams rather than 18 because, quote, 16 is a number which belongs to tennis.
1: That's going in a tweet sometime soon, isn't it? <laughs> I
3: kind of liked that.
1: <laughs> TM. <laughs> it's, just, to pass. it's just not
3: a it's just tennis not, thing. It's, it's just, just, it's
1: not just not the true. last
2: 16, isn't it? I mean, that, that can happen in any sport. Anyway, um, I thought he spoke really well about the United Cup and he, I think he and Zachary committing to it will actually mm. be quite important for mm. that event yeah. In, yeah. You know, to sort of really mm. take off.
1: Anyone think Sitsipas can win this tournament?
3: I'd be surprised. So He's,
1: he's not in the mix?
3: No. I, I, I would put people like... The thing is, I just don't think anybody other than Novak Djokovic is going to win it.
1: Is it a mix of one?
3: In to, to, to win the title, yes I, And I would put people like Taylor Fritz And even Cam Norrie Ahead of Sidsapas In the list of people I think Will end up in the final
1: The problem for them is that they're in Djokovic's well, That Fritz, is a detail Fritz, I haven't really thought about <laughs> is in Do you know what I mean? Uh, I would have put Fritz out of like they're Pass playing as well Except him. for the half of the draw that he's landed up in
2: mm. Yeah, mm. I agree
0: one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com
3: hello tennis podcast listeners david here now you might know that i love a bit of cooking and i think i'm quite good at it but if i'm honest even i get fed up trying to work out what to do every night that's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient but it's economical too.
1: Okay, moving on to the women, and we'll start once again with the top seed Iga Swiatek, who was the very last to come into press. She was, she was late. Actually, yeah. she had to, she had to ch- switch with Ons Jabeur. Um, I mean, it, it's fine. You know, Jabeur plugged the gap <laughs> heroically.
3: She was fantastic.
1: She was fantastic. We will, we will come on to her in due, due course. First up, Swiatek was asked about the shoulder injury which was what was listed as the reason that she pulled out of adelaide this week i i say that deliberately pointedly because she very pointedly said the shoulder's fine don't worry about it i mean she <laughs> laughed she did it was almost
2: like she'd forgotten that she'd had <laughs> yeah. a shoulder injury. yeah i did say that yeah, <laughs> yeah she uh, sort of looked over at her sort of team who were in the corner and yeah just sort of laughed and said don't worry about any injury.
3: <laughs> she was
1: very relaxed, wasn't she? Gently. So relaxed.
2: And it's actually a different vibe to her pre-US Open press conference where I think we all came out of that thinking, OK, Svantec is the best player in the world. Of course, she's she's a you know the favourite for the title. She can win it. But she doesn't feel very comfortable in New York. And I think certainly I kept thinking in New York she was going to lose because she wasn't playing that well. She'd been honest about not liking the conditions and the noise and the buzz and just didn't really suit her. And yet she ended up winning winning the title. Whereas here, I thought she seemed really relaxed, really ready. Um, there was an amazing... Just flex from her, where she was asked to name her three strengths and she named four.
3: (laughs) (laughs) None of them were the forehand.
2: (laughs) None of them were the forehand.
1: That was weird, wasn't it? She she really thought about it. At first, it was like she couldn't think of any. She was being really humble. And then she came out with four. (laughs) She said um, backhand, second serve, and return, and then, uh, and (laughs) footwork. How were none of them the forehand?
2: It's interesting because I think if you're going to get errors from Sviantec, I think they probably do come from the forehand. I think she can overhit there. But, but she was asked for her strengths, and absolutely her forehand is a strength,
3: mm. isn't it? Surely. That's the dis- a destructive wing, isn't it? I mean, you, it's just I always think back to the first Ronan Garros title mm. when, that, when we when we've really became aware of how devastating mm. that shot was. But, um, yeah.
2: So she's named more strengths than she was asked for, and not even mentioned her main strength. I mean, probably sums up her yeah. sort of dominance and position at the top of the sport. Really,
1: she um, she kind of revealed that she's read Ashbarty's book. Yes, didn't she? which is mm. nice. Um, I was tempted
3: to say, "Have you read it all?" And I was then. I then I thought, "What if she says no?" <laughs>
1: well she she said that in her her book because because they hit together yesterday just at kids day but they were on the Rod Laver arena together it was a a really lovely moment and she said that um she wouldn't be the player that she is without Ash Barty I'd asked her whether she longs to play Ash Barty at her peak and I think she does a little bit I don't think it occupies too many of her thoughts but if she did think about it then she would want that she said she said basically said look I'm better now I'd like to have the chance to beat her because before I used to lose to her because I wasn't as good but I'm better now and she, and she went on to say um that she'd read in her book and I must confess I haven't read Ash Barty's book yet um that she has five different types of backhand slice great line. Five. And she said, I can't even master one.
3: <laughs> Such a flex. Isn't mm. it? No
2: one stood a chance, did they? If, uh, if Barty's got five slices. When do you think that we'll stop talking about Ash Barty? Or will we never?
1: But I think we did go through a period, actually, where we didn't talk about her too much. I think it's because it's but I think Australia and it's a year. But and I
2: think we've always thought about, Shvionte getting to number one and had Barty in the in the back of our mind
3: when she gets another good rival, mm. right? Interesting, yeah. Because at the moment we it, have this vac, we have this domination of the tennis circuit. It, mm. It's.
1: I felt. I mean, it was it was a lovely little thing them playing together yesterday, but it made my heart ache a little bit for mm. what could have been.
2: Yeah, quotes. They're rubbing it in our faces <laughs> about the uh, rivalry that uh, didn't happen. <laughs>
1: I was in a private WhatsApp chat, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on to Anjabur. I'm desperate to move on to Anjabur. Not because Shantek wasn't great, but Anjabur was a joy. Yeah, An she was. absolute joy.
3: And even though I know she's good, she still makes me come out of a press conference being surprised that she can be that good, that interesting, that insightful, that honest um blunt sometimes uh, forthright about how good she thinks she is how strong-willed she is i I,
1: I feel like you've been on a real journey with on i didn't
3: know her very well i i mean i haven't i've interviewed her once i don't i haven't met her before socially or anything like that but i also haven't been in many of these press conferences you've been in lots of them i feel and have got to see this a lot more than i have for whatever reason and uh I like her strength, her inner strength, as as nice and convivial and charming as she is. And she's so likable. She really rates herself in a really unannoying way. I, it's, it's a great talent to, to back yourself that much and think you... She said even about changing agents, I want more, I feel like I deserve more, is the mm. gist of what she said. And... I like that. I like somebody who's prepared to negotiate and and back her own ability and character. And she talked
1: about how, unlike a lot of tennis players, she likes to put her goals out there publicly. Yeah. So often from tennis players, and I get why, I really do, but so often it's process, not outcome. You know, I think about the here and now, I think about my practice today, I think about my next forehand, I think about my next match. With Jabeur, it's... I have some extremely specific goals that I've set myself this year, and I'm pretty much willing to tell you about them. She said for this year, she wants to be number one in the world. She said not just the number, but the level. Mm. She doesn't want to get there by any kind of quirk. She wants to feel... Like, she is playing the best tennis in the world. Like, she is the best tennis player in the world. And I asked her what her lock screen photo is at the moment because she told us at Wimbledon last year that her lock screen photo was the Venus Rosewater dish. And I was expecting a lovely but deflective Mm. response. And... She, she really smiled, didn't she? And she said, I don't know if I can tell you. And David shouted, yes, you can. <laughs> sort of heckled her.
3: <laughs> got, to do, got to do what I got to do.
1: And she said, she thought about it and she said, it's a trophy. And then she said, actually, I have one and my husband has one. And she said, those are my two targets for the season. It's two trophies. I won't tell you which ones.
3: And then people were trying to get it by process of elimination.
1: (laughs) Which ones do we think it is? (laughs) It's got to be the Australian Open, hasn't it? They're her goals for the year. I think it might still be Wimbledon. I think one's Wimbledon.
3: Imagine if it was Roland Garros and Wimbledon. Imagine if she did
1: it.
2: Well, it's, it's quite interesting, another thing that came up in in the press conference, I think it was Matt Futterman who asked the question about how, you know, she reached the Wimbledon final on grass, she reached the US Open final on Hardcourt, and she reached the well, she won Madrid on, on clay, didn't she? She is an all-surface player, so I think it's very, very possible that her goals are sort of all surface-based. It, I think that's what makes her I wouldn't say stand out, because there are those sorts of players, but it separates her from some, because you do think of her as a contender kind of anywhere I now. think
1: she might be closer to winning the French. I know she lost first round, but in principle, closer to winning the French than Svantec is to winning Wimbledon. Yeah, I'd agree with Yeah. That.
3: And, and given I, that she's
1: agreed. reached the finals of slams on the other two surfaces...
3: Mm. I just love that number one in the world mm. quote. Mm. I want to be number one. Great.
1: Go for it. Will Onsjabur be number one this year?
3: I, 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 I would say no, because I just think that Schwantek is still so good, but things can change quickly in the words of... <laughs> you know?
1: she. Um, there, there's a
3: chance that Schwantek suddenly dips because of how much she's on her plate how much she's on her shoulders how much she wants it and how holding it all together is difficult
1: I do she was another one answer that made me want to change my predictions after the press conference because the only reason I didn't she didn't feature for me was the back injury Mm, same and she didn't seem like somebody with a a significant injury to me in that in that press conference could, could have been game face but I think she's she's so real and honest I, I'd be surprised if that back if that back end injury ends up being a, a factor I I regret my choices and I regret David making us make our predictions early <laughs>
3: <laughs> sorry
1: thank you <laughs> uh, Coco Goff was was impressed earlier on in the day isn't she she talked to you david about the work she's been doing in her off season
3: yeah I, I i wanted to know whether she felt it was a long enough time to make a material difference to areas of a game that she wanted to improve and she said she thinks it's the best off season she's ever had um and i asked her for specifics and she said she said, serve, and something else, and then she, then she said, and forehand, obviously. <laughs> 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 and I kind of thought... Because, look, the, the, the genesis of the question is how appalling her forehand looked at the end of last season when she was totally hitting the wall in the WTA finals and the Billie Jean King Cup, and she couldn't play... The forehand was so rocky. And I just... But I didn't want to make her feel horrible and awkward. But Been working was... on
1: your forehand, Coco.
3: <laughs> well, I was very tempted to say, <laughs> you know, your forehand was so bad last year at the end that I just wondered whether it's possible to have improved it sufficiently. I just I couldn't phrase it like that to her. She's, she's too, I like her too much, um, Anna, maybe I'm, maybe I'm weak but, um, she knew
1: what you were asking, though, I yeah,
3: think. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious. I'm ve- and, I, and look, she won that tournament really easily last week, but then it wouldn't have been interrogated in the same way that it will be. So is the forehand going to stand up? Has something changed? We'll find out,
2: mm. maybe. And I think Coco Goff's draw generally has actually... Got better since the draw was made because, unfortunately, Paula Belossa has withdrawn, uh, and she, they were due to meet, I think, in the fourth round, weren't they? Um, Badessa not the only high-profile withdrawal because Hila Tomjanovic as well. It's it's a real shame to lose mm. both of those players yeah. within, it was within kind of within minutes of each other, wasn't it? It was a real blow for the tournament. There
1: maybe there's a Netflix curse
2: oh God. goodness Meritini's in Netflix She's raised it yeah
3: mm.
1: just mm. throwing that oh out there dear. into the universe no <laughs> Danielle Collins we spoke to yesterday as yeah. well didn't we got,
3: got a restaurant tip great <laughs> and, and immediately acted upon yeah. it today. yeah today
1: <laughs> what was it called again a Thousand Blessings, yes. which is a really lame name, I oh, think. Oh, I loved it. Did you? Oh, okay. Yeah. It's just a bit naff, isn't well, it? Well, they've
3: had but... a free ad, but we've slagged <laughs> off their name. <laughs> <laughs> but we won't slag off their brunch because it, it is blissful. Exceptional.
1: Um, Anything else from, from Daniel Collins?
3: I just wrote the, the word, fruit. she's a grown-up. Mm. She's just somebody who is totally in charge of who she is as a human being. Her game's pretty good, too. But she made it very clear there's a lot more to me than, than tennis. And and you, you, I think you asked her about about that, about the importance of it. And, and she, she said, yeah, I, I, I like to have hobbies. I like to have other things to stimulate my mind.
1: I asked her that because I think she'd come in directly after Stefano Sitsipas, whose last words was a warning to Holger Rune <laughs> about being too obsessed with tennis. <laughs> which, you know, slight irony in that, but <laughs> that's what it made me think of with Danielle Collins, that she, she there's no doubting her fang. She, she wants it, she's dedicated to it, she works hard, but she also has perspective, and that's, that's the sweet spot,
3: I think. Yeah, I, I, I love listening to her, um, because I think she's, she's been through quite a lot to get where she is, she knows that, and she's already won she's won at life she's won as a tennis player whatever else happens for her in the game is icing on it because um, she's a massive success story and I I just I just like her
1: does anyone have her featuring heavily in their predictions
3: I can't remember I don't think so. I I don't think think I do.
2: I've got a feeling she might be in Sviante. I think that's that's what it was. Mm. Section before the quarterfinals. It's
3: not a reflection on her. I think it's Mm. just that how do you pick her over...
2: Yeah. And of course she did beat here last year in the semifinals. I can barely remember that. It's a different (laughs) Ego Šviontek now.
3: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Last player that I want to talk about is actually the first press conference of the day that we went to. Emma Raducanu. Um She faces Tamara Corpatch,
2: and she used sort of official tennis podcast terminology to describe Tamara Corpatch. She bracketed her as tricky.
3: Yes. So you going to say she's in the mix? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> well, she's in with
2: the Magdalenettes of this world. Oh.
1: <laughs> she um, she was interesting, Emma Raducanu, wasn't she? There were, there were some questions that she she wasn't drawn too much on you know she was asked about the the ankle that she turned in Auckland how that's doing she you know she, she said it's okay she talked about how they've they've accelerated the the healing process i don't quite understand how that works mm. but she says it's they kind of cheated time a little bit and they've they've got ahead of
3: that the al- curve that on. always worries me a little bit
1: yeah that that worries me too, especially with something like an ankle turn, which is...
3: I think you can do it, but whether you can do it to a point where it's going to be robust enough to, to deal with what she's going to be putting it through, I am not convinced. We'll see.
1: Mm. We will yeah. see. We will see. It's, it's a tough dose of luck for Emirati Yeah,
3: and
2: I think particularly tough because of what she was talking about in the press conference, how she did have a pretty good... Off season in terms of mainly sort of doing fitness work and getting stronger, she said she actually didn 't pick up a racket until a bit later than than she normally would because she was so focused on on the fitness, she felt good, she felt stronger, and then for something like that to happen, just an ankle turn and sort of set you back a bit must be so frustrating and um, while she was talking about the sort of psychological struggle of that she said a line that will really, really stick with me, and it was, you have to realise that you're not running out of time, age 20. And, I, you know, not only was that probably, you know, that probably should be in the minds of everyone when they're writing about Emerita Canu or talking about Emerita Canu, but it's, I'm, I'm glad that she realises that as well, and um, she does still have time. And Look, I know we... I know we talk about the sort of opposite in that you can feel very young and suddenly you're not but I do think for Adakana she really does have time and it's important Roger. that it's important that people remember that and that she knows that I was I was encouraged by that
1: Yeah she was asked about not being a teenager anymore and she said you know she said <laughs> A line which made, probably made everyone in the room feel a hundred years old but she said, you know, on one hand I feel really old and grown up and and then then she said that line, Matt. She said, But then I remember I'm if if all goes well I've got another fifteen years of this. Mm. You know, I <laughs> it's ludicrous to think that I'm running out of time. And I'm really glad, exactly as you say, that she's she's got that in the front of her mind and Look, I think she's injured. I don't, I don't want to draw any conclusions or too many conclusions on the basis of what happens tomorrow against potentially in the mix tomorrow call catch. <laughs>
3: <laughs> or at the very least tricky. <laughs>
1: um, couple of uh, results to bring you up to date with from Adelaide 2. Adelaide is now done and dusted. There's no free. <laughs> we have to wait a full 50 weeks for any more Adelaide.
3: No trilogies in tennis.
1: No. Uh, Belinda Bencic thrashed Daria Kazakina 6-2. love six two,
3: We saw a bit of that, didn't we? To win the title. And, uh, I mean, she, she was really good, but Kazakina was not good on the day, was she?
2: No. And I always worry about Kazakina in matches where I think she's just going to get hit off the court because she doesn't have that much power and sometimes she can expose those those players with her sort of touch and variety but sometimes she can just get overhit and overpowered but I didn't, I didn't think Bengchiks would be that sort of match up I thought it would be a lovely match of variety and interesting rallies but actually Bengchiks was so on top of her on the baseline taking the ball early as she does but doing so to really make Kasakina look quite impotent actually
1: and she looked like she had a flight to catch right. she looked like she'd booked an early flight to Melbourne and I, she was going to yeah, catch it awesome. come what may
3: I, I sense there is a clarity of thought in her that we maybe haven't seen in the past and until she won Billie Jean King Cup at the end of last year I who knows what sort of impact Dmitry Tursonov has had in that way I do think he's a, a pretty straight talker um, and if she has just got the right tactics now, um, she's got the game.
2: Yeah, and Tursunov is a coach who has had fairly immediate success with yeah. his players. You know, I think Sabalenka immediately showed quite a lot of improvement. Contevate went on that winning run. Even mm. Raducan, who played some really mm. good tennis, okay, didn't have you know massive wins or anything, but played really good tennis in the sort of hard courts against Serena and, and Azarenka last summer, like there could be a sort of new manager bounce effect and it's <laughs> uh, it's Dmitry Tursunov. I just want to see the fire in the belly that we see from Belinda Bencic pretty much exclusively in Billie Jean King Cup. I want that to come out at five all in the third in the quarterfinals of, of a slam. And until we see it, I don't know whether I can believe that it's going to happen because it should be there because yeah. she does have it in Billie Jean King Cup but it's
3: it's a totally different scenario she looks in a rush to me mm. now suddenly and I think that's good news not satisfied mm.
1: yep gonna be interesting Sunu Kwan beat Roberto Batiste in the men's Adelaide 2 final you watched some of this David. yeah
3: and I, I i didn't pay a lot of attention for the first couple of sets it was on in the the apartment while you guys were at elton john and i was uh <laughs> trying to work out various things that we we were going to have to do the next 48 hours and and then suddenly the third set just completely transfixed me i it was wonderful great tussle i mean soon we were quan. What a ball striker that guy is. And he went toe-to-toe with Jack Draper. We were watching some of that. And, God, he's got such a sort of crisp strike on the ball. It has that lovely sound that you always talk about, the carrot being snapped.
1: Yeah, and can do that while half-volleying from the baseline, can time it that well on pretty much on the half-volley. Just doesn't let himself get pushed back at all, does Mm. he?
2: Yeah. Yeah, he, he... He's one of those players who I think, why, why aren't you ranked a yeah. bit higher? 25 know. years of age. Right. Um, but um, I mean,
3: you know, he won it in a final set tiebreak in the end and yeah. showed some, some guts. I saw him yeah.
2: beat uh, Felix Orgelia Yassim in Davis Cup last year. You know, he has had the odd big win, and I think this was his second title, I believe. Yeah, I mean, you do not want to face that, that forehand when it's firing. It's, it's an awesome shot.
1: In Auckland, Richard Gasquet <laughs> won the title in the, in the year 2023, folks. Amazing. He beat Cameron Norrie 6-4 in the third Norrie. I think it's fair to say his arm got a bit heavy, I think. Serving
3: he was 4-1 up, wasn't he? In, in that deciding, deciding set,
1: set. yeah. 4-1 up. It, it's Obviously, he's, he's British. Cameron Norrie represents Great Britain, but he's a New Zealander as well. You know, he spends yep. a lot of time there. Grew up there for long periods. His family lived there. He wanted this one really badly. It meant a lot more to him than just an Australian Open warm-up tournament. And it does make me worry about him a little bit for for Melbourne this fortnight, where you talked me into thinking you might be in. <laughs> You're getting the blame here. Don't in you, a isn't mini you? mix. Yeah, uh, in a mini mix, uh, all right. Uh, I'm I'm now just a bit worried about
3: him I, I, I'm i not worried about him based on that I think it's the quite specific circumstances I also think maybe he let his guard down just ever a little bit and Gasquet even though he's what 36 now he still has that flashing blade of a backhand and, and if he gets going and just rips shots they can hurt um, but I think he will quite quickly just compose himself, reboot, and be back to business in Melbourne. I, I think the bigger worry for, for Norrie is that he's lost matches at Grand Slams that he, he didn't look right in. Um, he, he, I can't remember who we were talking about. I remember him beating, losing to Karen Khachanov at uh, It was Garos. Rublev and Roland Garros. And it was never close and mm. um and it was it
1: was the performance rather than the loss yeah that day he, he lost a
3: quarter here last year and suddenly he looks like a different player to the one that we we watched tour on the tour mm. week in week out but i still think he's right there
1: well just before we we get back to melbourne uh, and run you through some of the picks of the matches on day one a story from elsewhere in tennis that that broke over the weekend involving the Davis Cup and the ITF's relationship with Cosmos, who had essentially bought into the Davis Cup um, and performed a big role in, in managing it and running it. Um, that partnership has ended unexpectedly and very much prematurely. Um, the ITF announced that over the weekend, Cosmos then responded with their own statement which had pretty bizarre wording in it and said, it appears that our relationship with the ITF has come to an end as if they were surprised by it or weren't quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> it seems, it looks a bit like. Um, this, is, this is a disaster, isn't it? This
3: is, it's yeah. really bad. I mean, it was a 25-year deal uh, signed four or five years ago. And um, it was for an enormous sum of money. Um, we don't know the full details of, of what's happened, but those sums don't appear to have added up. And yeah, and they've made sweeping changes on the back of the deal uh, to the competition. Listen, changes that I certainly thought had something to them, and I still think there is some merit to the changes that have taken place because it wasn't working in its in its original state, but I think they probably went too far too quickly. Um, and now, without the, the money to back all of this up and to hold it up, I think they're in a really difficult p- place now. I mean, they're going to carry on, they say, and have this event still in Malaga at the end of the year, as originally planned. That would have been Cosmos uh, persuaded, really, wouldn't it? So... This is just, honestly, it's a mess. And uh, I, I just love the Davis Cup so much. I don't agree with people who say it's dead and forget about it. Then, and also, I don't think you you can literally just say, "Let's just change it back then immediately," because there's too much in place. It's gonna, but it's gonna take some unpicking, and it's not a nice situation at all.
2: Yeah, it's it's a nightmare, really. And um, as you said, a lot of the reaction to this news I think from from some parties certainly the sort of French media that I saw and some of the French players I know um, Mahou tweeted that we'll change it back immediately then you know let's go back to what it was before they sort of see this as an opportunity now to go back to what it was but I just don't think that's the reality here look I mean certainly the itf are going to have to find some other partners for sure they're going to need money um but they're also quite committed to this new format change there are other deals in place like i think the lta have a deal to host the group stages for four or five years like they're not just going to want to suddenly rip that up either like it's it's a mess it's an administrative mess it's a mess for the competition it's Kind of terrible for everyone really but I don't think this means we're going back to what the Davis Cup was before uh, look we might eventually but just just because of this news I don't think that's what mm. it means for the Davis Cup but it's it's sort of difficult to imagine what the Davis Cup does look like without Cosmos because they ran that show in terms of the last few years you know if you were on site at a Davis Cup finals you know most of the people working there were cosmos people
1: total mess and uh, the the fallout i'm sure isn't finished will um will keep you posted as and when there are developments back to melbourne very briefly before we wrap up um we didn't have a chance to spotlight qualifying uh in our last preview show there were some there were some nice little stories matt
2: yeah i've just picked out a few names and a few stories i think Maybe the biggest story from women's qualifying was who didn't make it through. And that was Linda Noskova, who um, had obviously done so well in Adelaide 1, uh, beaten Nonsha Burr, beaten Azarenka, got to the final there, massive breakthrough, but had to play qualifying because of what her ranking was when the when the cutoff was made. She lost in, in round one of qualifying, just That's a tough. two-day turnaround. Tough. Very, very tough. Um, also Alicia Parks was the top seed in qualifying, who's been in really good form. I thought she would probably make it through. I think, you know, a lot of people think she might have a bit of a big year this year. She lost in in round two. You know, it just, just shows, I think, those two examples, how tough qualifying is. You know, so much on the line for everyone. It's 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 an amazing thing to watch if you do watch it because it, it matters so much. Um, some players who who did make it through from the... And the women's qualifying, Brenda Fruvertova, the younger Ooh. of the Fruvertovas, Polina Kudamatova, sister of Veronica Kudamatova, oh, Coco <laughs> Vanderway is into the main draw after getting through the qualifying. There's a blast from the
1: past. Yeah, wow! A
2: very specific blast from 2017. To Me, yeah. that's that was yeah. the, that's the Coco Vanderway. I tell
1: you what, no one wants to play her.
2: No, um,
3: not not now quick that she's court. won three matches, three as well. matches
1: under a belt. Quick Four. court, former semi finalist.
2: Yeah, uh, she beat um the Brit Lily uh Miyazaki, Miyazaki. in the um, mm-hmm. in the final round. There, really good match. Katie Volinets made it through, beating Christina Plister. Uh, Christina Pliskova, no, Christina Mladenovic. Um, and Ara Karolina Schmiedlova beat Elizabeth Mandlik, daughter of Hannah Mandlikova.
3: Katie Volinitz. That will never not be a good name to say this.
2: I'm always going to pick out her results <laughs> just because of her name. Um, and then in men's qualifying, uh, Jan leonard Struf. Again, a name that I just think, why are you in qualifying? But yeah. I know he's had a lot of injuries. Um, again. Not someone you would want to play, I don't think.
1: Not Ma- someone Denis Shapovalov wants to play.
2: Indeed, yes. Uh, Max Purcell, who obviously had a huge year in doubles last year, Australian Open, fi- uh, Australian Open final, Wimbledon champion. He's through in the singles. Um, Jun Cheng Sheng, who's known as Jerry Sheng. Um, Ch- he- that
1: English name chosen, um, named after Tom and Jerry, which oh. I love.
3: Yeah.
2: He is making his main draw debut in a slam. Just 17 years old and one of three Chinese men in the draw here. Um, Ernesto, Ernesto Escobedo. I picked that out because a very weird thing happened. He started qualifying as American and he finished it as Mexican. His His... His nationality appeared to change mid-tournament. <laughs> so cool. I mean, I'm trying to get to the bottom of this because I believe he's still showing up as American on uh, the ATP website, but all the, brand, all the graphics changed in terms of the Australian Open. He had a Mexican flag next to his name. I thought maybe it was just a mistake, but I, I asked um, Eleanor Crooks, and she said, no, no, he, he has changed nationality. So, I mean, that must be a first, I think.
3: I do remember that for a while... Uh, Ila Tomlyanovich was listed by, listed as Croatian on the tour and Australian at the slams, whilst she was... I guess they've got different rules as, as yes. to what you must... Right. The, the degrees yes, to which you must too. become sufficiently, you know, formatted as one or the mm. other. And
1: she's got an American accent. It's all very discombobulating.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyway, he's through. And final line from qualifying is uh, Brandon Holt, Hooray! Tracy Austin's son, uh, who obviously qualified at the US Open. And, you know, we made quite a big deal of that. I think it was a big story at the time. Um, he's qualified now for back-to-back slams. And it, it actually is kind of against the grain, really. He's kind of emerging as a Grand Slam qualifying specialist because he's it's, not actually it's having... Not necessarily
1: what you want to be, that, is it? Well, if
3: he's getting into
2: main draw of slams... <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, I was going to say, because he's not having, like, amazing results on the Challenger mm-hmm. Tour, for has, example. Has he
3: played much, do you know, between the two? Because I haven't yeah, really heard he hasn't, of his name. He hasn't, you know, had that,
2: he hasn't had that many results. Oh, um, yeah. Obviously, he's qualified now for two, got a win over Taylor Fritz at the US Open. Like, I don't know. I think he's a sort of slam specialist at his level, if you like, um, rather than a tour specialist. Mm. Because... For him, the tour is the challenge at all, but he's, he seems to be peaking at, mm. at these events.
1: He'll definitely be somebody that we will want to keep an eye on his first round mm. And really the,
3: the thing is, when you do qualify for the slams, you can quickly catapult yourself mm. into the top 100 and end up not needing to play all the challenges.
2: And it's a huge injection financially.
3: Yeah.
1: It's $100,000 $100, mm. for, for losing first round. Uh, what have we got? In our first day of action in the main draw of the Australian Open, Rod Laver Arena opens with Coco Goff against Katerina Siniakova. I always think, oh, mm. Katerina Siniakova should be tricky, but she actually very rarely is. I, mm. I don't know why she's not better at singles,
3: but. She, I feel like she's capable. Mm but it doesn't happen as often as as, it sh- as I think it should.
1: Uh, then it's Yuan against uh, Maria. Sakari Nadal against Draper is third on day session. On day one, a lot of people expected that to be a night match, but it's a day match.
3: I am surprised mm. uh, because uh, that would have fitted better than into the European mm. slots of um, of of night session being the morning in the UK and in, and in Spain.
1: The night session opens with Igor Schwantek against Eula Niemeyer, which I do expect to be a really good match.
2: Yeah, Although I was talking to a uh, German journalist today, Yannick, and he said that Niemeyer has not had a great sort of preparation for this season. It, it, kind of, of of her own making, like she was burnt out at the end of last season and went on kind of an extended vacation, but that ate into her off-season time. It goes back to what we're talking about. There isn't enough time for your Maldives holiday and to work on your forehand. It's sort of one or the other in tennis. Eula
1: went Maldives. She went
2: Maldives. And Can't
1: say I wouldn't make the same decision. No,
3: right, and I'll be all over that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and maybe hasn't come out of the blocks quite so well at the start of this season. And Yannick's point was that, obviously, they played at the US Open and Niemeyer was a set in break-up really troubled Schviontek. So when I saw that draw, I was like, wow, that's really, really tough for Schviontek. His assessment was that it's maybe not as tough as it was at the US Open just simply because Niemeyer doesn't seem to be in such a good place. But Niemeyer liked the stage, didn't she? At Wimbledon, mm-hmm. she liked the stage at the US Open. I think I think she'll give what she's got mm. and perform and, you know, she's got power. So I, I still think it's a bit tricky but maybe we just need to sort okay. of add in that context.
1: Thanks, Yannick, for taking the air out of... <laughs> 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 Not, <laughs> Not a hype man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Medvedev Girón is the final match of the day on Rod Arena On the second court, Jessica Begula opens things up against the Romanian player Christian. Hubert Hercatsch second on then it's Kenan against Azarenka the only two former champions in the women's draw are meeting in the first round fun good. fact yeah. uh, the night session there is Sitsipas against Alice presumably Sitsipas will be laying eyes on him for the very first time oh that's who, that's who that is and he's
3: been quite good recently
1: yeah I so. know but <laughs> perhaps this is all Sitsipas
2: becoming less obsessed with tennis he doesn't even know who his opponents are <laughs>
1: Madison Keys <laughs> against Anna Blinkover is last on. Uh, Brit watch for you. Just allow us a, a quick moment of um, British myopathy. Kyle Edmund starts against Yannick Sinner. They're first up on the John Kane Arena. Cameron Norrie plays um, Van Ash. What is Van Ash's first name? Luca. Luca. Yes, that sounds right. Luca Van Ash. Third on the Kia Arena, and Emmer who opens against in the mix Tamara Korpach <laughs> First on the 1573 arena. Oh, and Harriet Dart plays Jill Tykman tomorrow, fourth on court five. I think those are interesting matches, even if you're not British. Um, with the exception, possibly, of Cam Norrie against Luca Van Ash. I think
3: it'll end
2: up being a classic. <laughs> <laughs> it will, yeah. Are you excited um, about Carl Ebman and Yannick Sinner? No. No, okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <Bruce
2: Hall. laughs> no. The women's matches are interesting. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> basically dart against Tykman is quite interesting anyway <laughs> uh, and just to pick out a few other matches for you from around the grounds tomorrow if you've got a grounds pass there is there is a lot to see as there so often is in the opening rounds but Bianca Andreescu against um, Maria Buskova that's a tomorrow good match. brilliant Great match
3: that's a tough draw for them both isn't mm. it
1: Diana Stremska against Yelena Rostopenko. Oh,
3: when's that? On? I mean, that's just funny. <laughs> Tell me where and when. Um, and I haven't actually got that else. in front
1: of me, but we'll find
2: it for you. I We'll
1: find it. Uh, Marta, to Kostyuk. Marta Kostyuk against Amanda Anisimova. Oh. Yeah? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, uh, yeah, Sebastian Corder uh, against Christian Green. And Mikhail Ima against um Yoshito Nishioka. These are good matches, mm, first round. Absolutely. So that's all coming up tomorrow. We'll of course have our first daily well, maybe this is our first daily. Anyway, our first official Kinda, yeah. our first official daily tennis podcast from the twenty twenty three Australian Open. It'll be brought to you in association with On Location and Steve Fergal's Tennis Tours. Hey, yeah. Hooray. It'll never not be exciting. No. Um, We're going to it will well. It'll be also in association with our mascot Cordelia. Yeah. lot of love on Twitter for my Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference there. Not from Cordelia's owner. <laughs> so, going to assume that not named after Buffy the Vampire Slayer okay. character. But anyway, makes me smile. Hello, Cordelia. Uh, hello also to Zenya, my mascot for the year. Lovely Zenya. David?
3: Zenya? Right,
1: no, that was David. Would you like to say hello to Maisie?
3: Well, yeah, Maisie, you and me, mates.
1: And Matt, gonna would you like all. to say hello to Darwin?
2: Yes, and I'll, I'll look at David when I say this. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Darwin.
1: Uh, Billy Jean is <laughs> sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have three top folks. They are Drew, Jamie and Hannah, and they are our executive producers. And we have shout outs.
2: We have Susan Mullen, who is in Dublin.
1: All right, Susan. Hello, Susan. Sue Barker, do you think she was originally a Susan?
3: I would say yes. I don't know for sure, but I'm going to say yes. And I think that's a great shout. Susan, hello. How are you doing? Mm. And uh, we can use that
2: again because we've also got Susan Ford.
3: (laughs) (laughs) What else can we use? (laughs) Well, Susan has
2: told us that she's from Chicago. um, And she has a new fee named Rowan and a golden named Callie. A new
1: fee, David, is a Newfoundland which is a lot like the Bernese mountain dogs that we saw today. Similar vibe.
3: Catherine, we've seen every single breed of dog (laughs) on the planet today. We didn't see a new fee today actually. Well I did.
1: Hello to both Susans, one in (laughs) Dublin and one in the Windy City.
3: Mm. Maybe
1: we should maybe they should be friends. That's not a thing, is it? Just being, <laughs> being friends with people with the same name as you. Next.
2: We've got Catherine Soros. Maybe is, we should be
1: friends. <laughs> Yay!
2: Who is in Los Angeles.
1: Hello, Catherine. Which which church? Which pew? Uh
2: same church, different pew, but a very 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 close pew. Is
1: it cat Kath- is it C and Y?
2: No, it's Catherine, but the it's C A T H A R I N E. That's a first on the
1: podcast. Mm. Possibly same pew, but just few few seats along. Right. Okay. Mm. Yeah.
3: Amazing. Hi,
1: Catherine. Hello, Catherine.
2: We do get a lot of Catherine. We do. I I don't (laughs) think I'm imagining that. We just get loads, Um, and we apparently we sort of spell their name every time. Uh, we've also got Robert in North Dakota,
1: like Matt Roberts. Very good. See what's happening here. Uh, yeah. Robert
2: El- says that he and his wife are avid tennis podcast fans and Roger Federer fans, and they travelled to London to see his last match at oh, the Laver Cup. Wow, that's all the moment. way from North Dakota. Mm. Robert, the best
1: of all the Dakotas, like Robert Federer.
2: Yeah. Oh, very good. Right, Robert. And finally we've got Lawrence who is in
1: Melbourne. Oh, All right, hello Lawrence. Lawrence. I've got a cousin called Lawrence. Good day Lawrence. <laughs> Never Sorry. do that. again, <laughs>
2: Uh, Lawrence says that <laughs> I'm just moving on from that Lawrence says that his favourite players uh, when he, he started watching tennis in the early 2000s were Martina Hingis and Andre Agassi and he's put in brackets sorry
3: David oh no you're alright don't worry yeah. uh, it's David Lawrence. should be apologising to you no <laughs> uh, no worries <laughs> <laughs> oh crikey <laughs> you've created a monster
1: okay Lawrence. thank you thank you to all of our shout outs uh, if you want to get a shout out or an intro or simply become a friend of the pod then the link to do all that it's very simple is in our show notes. it's because of you friends of the pod that we are here in australia sat uh in melbourne in richmond melbourne contemplating an incredible two weeks to come we can't wait folks i hope you feel the same we will speak to you tomorrow
0: why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials